Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is a message brought to our church by a guest speaker. We hope that it is a blessing to you, and we would love to hear how God has used it in your life. Let's just get right into it, all right? Exodus chapter 13, Exodus chapter 13, and then in just a moment after we read that, we'll be in Numbers chapter 14. Uh, If you're willing and able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Exodus chapter 13, I'm just going to read verses 17 and 18, and then we're going to jump right over to Numbers 14. So Exodus 13, verses 17 and 18, it says this, And it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God let, uh, that God let them, led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. It would have been a shorter route uh, to go through the land of the Philistines. It says, for God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about or around through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. Now turn over, if, you, if you've got a mark there, in Numbers chapter 14. We're going to read a few verses. So that's the beginning of their journey. They, they're getting out of uh, out of Egypt, the Lord's delivered them out of the hand through the plagues, uh, and that's a whole amazing story to read. If you've never uh, heard that story, go read in the book of Exodus what God did to lead his people out and the things he put the Egyptians through until Pharaoh finally just said, get out of here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sick of uh, this happening to us, and he just lets them go, and God delivers them in a great way. That's the beginning of their journey in Exodus chapter 13. and tells us God didn't take them the short route. He took them around through the wilderness. And then in Numbers chapter 14, where we're going to read, starting in verse 20, is this is where they're, they're right on the brink of the promised land. Okay, God brings them through a wilderness season, which is really what we're going to be talking about today. But, but we're getting to Numbers chapter 14. This is where they're, they're ready. They've sent spies, and this is them uh, to, supposed to go in, but they end up deciding not to. And this is the Lord's response. It says, and the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. And that's, that was uh, God talking to Moses, basically saying he was ready to wipe them out. <laughs> if you read in, uh, earlier in Numbers chapter 20, God was like, I'm just going to get rid of all of them and start again with you, Moses. And Moses prayed for the people and said, God, uh, think about your glory. And all the other people outside of Israel will say, no, God, God couldn't even lead his people uh, out of Egypt. And so he just killed them all because he couldn't do it. And he said, think about your glory, God. And God here says, okay, I've pardoned according to your word. So he forgives the children of Israel. He says, but as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these 10 times, and have not hearkened to my voice, Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. I skipped to uh, verse 29 there. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me. Doubtless ye shall not come into the land, concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, which which ye said would be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which ye have despised. 
But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in the wilderness. After the number of days in which ye searched the land, even 40 days each day for a year, shall ye bear your iniquities, even 40 years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me. In this wilderness, they shall be consumed, and there they shall die." We just read the beginning of the children of Israel's journey to the promised land in Exodus 13 and the end when they get right to the precipice of the promised land. And this morning, we're going to cover the entire time in between. And if if you know anything about the story of Israel, you know that the time in between is a time in the wilderness. And I I saw some of you, you you heard, I say, we're going to cover from Exodus 13 to Numbers chapter 14. It's 69 chapters, but I I promise it's not going to take as long as... We're not going to read it all, okay? We're going to skim through it. We're just going to really be touching it. Uh, and, and it may seem like a lot of information to process. We're going to cover it very quickly this morning. But really, all the information we're going to cover boils down to three main points. And so I want us to take a moment and look at how the children of Israel managed their wilderness season, which if you paid attention to the text and numbers we just read, was not very well. <laughs> they didn't manage it very well. And, and I want us to learn some practical things for us about how to manage our wilderness seasons, how to manage our wilderness seasons. So God, we come to you this morning and we just ask, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, we pray that you would accomplish the promise in your word that says your word won't return void. It will accomplish that which you please. And we pray, God, that you would do that in our hearts today. God, I know that I can do absolutely nothing apart from you. You said that in John chapter 16, Lord. I pray that you would help me to recognize that as I speak this morning. Uh, Lord, that everything I say, everything I do, even though it might come from my mouth, Lord, I pray that it would just flow from you and from your heart to me and to every single person listening to the message. God, I pray that you would uh, just be honored and glorified in the preaching today. And Lord, that you would use it to encourage us and to strengthen our walks with you as we go through surprise wilderness seasons. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated, and we'll jump right in. A few weeks ago, when Pastor asked if I would preach this morning and in preparation for this day, I began to pray, you know, about what I might preach about, and and through the process, I had begun to develop really about three or four different messages, and uh, some of them uh, pretty far along in the development process uh, and, and had an outline for it and ready to preach it. And, and every single one of those messages, I just came to a point where uh, it was like the Lord was like, no, nah, this isn't the one. I'm like, what? <laughs> I put all this preparation in and, and this isn't the one? I just didn't have peace about it. And then as I just mentioned, our original plan for starting the church in Wenatchee was actually that next week was going to be this big, huge launch Sunday for the church, and we were going to all go over to Wenatchee and, and do this big day, launch Sunday, and, and, uh, and of course, with uh, the delaying of, of churches being able to meet and trying to find a meeting place and all this stuff, uh, it, it just seems like that, that plan of, of God is, is actually a little bit farther down uh, this year than I thought it would be, and and through these and really many other situations, the Lord keeps bringing me back to this truth about himself. It's kind of an unsettling truth to me about him, but the truth is this, that God 
is unpredictable. And I hope you don't misunderstand me when I say that. I'm not saying at all that there's, that there's any inconsistency in God's character. That's not what I'm saying when I say he's unpredictable because uh, he is, as he said in Malachi, he, he, I, he says, I change not. The writer of Hebrews says, I'm, he's the same yesterday and today and forever, okay? He, he is always the same. There's no inconsistency in his character. He, he was faithful. He is faithful. He will always be faithful. He, he was Jehovah Jireh. That means provider. He is a provider and he will always be a provider. He, he's the, he was the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. He will always be the Prince of Peace. And, and he will continue forevermore to be exactly who he was and who he is. And I don't feel like I need to keep going, but, but healer, shepherd, redeemer, on down the line, he is the same today as he was back then. And he will still be the same at any point in our future. Saying that there's unpred- I'm not saying that there's any consistency in God's character, but I am saying that there's unpredictability in, in how he does things, in his activity. Uh, you see, we, we can always predict who God will be, but we can't always accurately anticipate what God will do, right? At times we see Jesus in his earthly ministry respond to people immediately when they called for him. And then in John chapter 11, we see them come and say, Lazarus, he's sick unto death. And he says, okay, I'm going to wait about four days. And we, if you were to read the passage, we know that the Jews had a, a, a teaching that the spirit of a man didn't leave him until after three days. And so God, uh, what Jesus was holding off to, to show that when he got there, it was unexplic- unexplicably a miracle from God. And that he truly, as he said, is the resurrection and the life. And that glory would come to the Father and that he would be shown as the Redeemer and the resurrection and the life to those who saw it. Uh, but, but we see him responding in different ways. Sometimes Jesus healed people by touching the person. And then in Mark 5, we see a woman with the issue of blood who, who was healed by touching something that was touching him. Didn't, he didn't touch her. She didn't even touch him. She touched the hem of his garment and was healed. Sometimes Jesus spoke the word and the person was healed. And then at other times we see him doing things like spitting in dirt and making mud and sticking it in a man's eyes who was blind and, and uh, helping him to see in that way. And, and then I think of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. He said, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations that were given to me, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. He says, which I besought the Lord three times that he might take it away. And the third time the Lord said, no, my grace is sufficient. <laughs> you, have you ever been there? You're like, God, take this away from me. <laughs> and God says, no, no, I, I kind of like what it's doing in your life right now. God, things have never been worse. And he says, yeah, but spiritually they've never been better. He says, God, I'm, so, I'm in so much pain right now. He says, yeah, but you're also in so much prayer right now. And sometimes he sees what it's developing in our life, and instead of taking it away or altering it, he says, you know what, I'm going to give you grace to endure it. You see, we can't always predict what God will do. Now think about that in the context of our first passage in Exodus chapter 13. It says, it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God let them not through the uh, way of the land of the Philistines, although it was near. Although that was a shorter distance, he didn't take them there. It said, God led them around through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. I don't think Israel would have seen that coming. Think about it. 
they were told that God would take them out of Egypt and into the promised land. If you, if you were to go back to Exodus chapters 3 through 6, and we won't for time's sake, but if you were to go and read those chapters and see the conversation between God and Moses and between Moses and the people, there was no mention of a wilderness time. It, it was out of Egypt and into the promised land. God will take us out of Egypt and into the promised land. God said, Moses, I'm going to take the people out of Egypt and into the promised land. And so in the people's mind, this could have been something that they thought would be immediate. We get out of Egypt and we go right into the promised land. But if you were paying attention to that passage in Exodus 13, you would see that God knew something else that the Israelites didn't know. And that was that if they got right out of Egypt and took the shorter route, they would have changed their minds and gone back to Egypt once they saw the battles they would have had to fight. So instead, God takes them through the wilderness because he knew that they weren't ready to fight those battles yet. Can I just pause and remind us that God knows which battles we are not ready for yet. If he's taking you through a wilderness journey, through an unexpected season of life, it just might be that you've got some growing to do before you get to that battle. Because you can, you can be ready for something, but not really be ready for it. <laughs> you can be ready for a promotion at work, but not be ready for the pressure that comes along with it. Right? There are many examples we could go through, but you see the children of Israel, they were ready for the promised land, but they were not ready for the battles that they would have to fight to take the land. And God knew this. So he led them through a surprise season through the wilderness. And that's what the wilderness is a picture of. The wilderness represents surprise seasons, what you didn't see coming, what you cannot predict, and, and it represents a season of preparation. Sometimes in order to get to the place that God wants to take us, he'll have to take us through a surprise season, season to prepare us for that place. Has anyone here ever had a surprise season come up in your life? Some of you are looking at me like, uh, yeah, corona, <laughs> Right? The entire year has been a surprise season. And that's why I give all my pastor friends uh, a hard time who had their church theme this year as 2020 vision. Okay, I, I, love our, I love our church's theme for the year. Oh man, the banner's down. I can't point to it. Steadfast, steadfast. I love our theme for this year. And if there's ever been a year we've needed to be reminded to be steadfast and continue and to be faithful, man, it's this year. But I give all my pastor friends that said their theme this year was going to be 2020 vision. I give them a hard time and say, you're all liars. <laughs> Ain't none of you saw this coming. <laughs> none of you had 2020 vision. This has definitely been a surprise season. But I dare say this, that the COVID-19 situation hasn't been the only surprise season in your life. Would I be correct in saying that? And I think I'd be correct in saying this as well. It won't be the last surprise season in your life in your life. They seem to be a common thing that we all go through surprise seasons and they're unavoidable. We can't predict everything as much as we wish we could. And so surprise seasons, wilderness seasons are unavoidable. And when seasons cannot be avoided, they have to be managed. And how they're managed can determine whether that season is prolonged or made permanent. And so I want us to learn from the children of Israel's wilderness season how to manage our wilderness seasons. So how do we manage a wilderness season? Well, number one, uh, we manage a wilderness season by first recognizing it for what it is. 
we recognize it for what it is. Well, what is it? Surprise seasons are, first of all, a time of preparation. A time of preparation. God was using this wilderness time to prepare the children of Israel for the next step of taking the promised land. Uh, they, they were ready to get out of Egypt and into Canaan, but they were not ready for the adversity that a short path required. So God used this time to prepare them. And he prepared them in a lot of different ways. And this is where we're going to cover a lot of ground in a short amount of time. But uh, he prepared them by a lot of different ways. He gave them the law, the Ten Commandments, and, and some instructions regarding the tabernacle that they were to build for worshiping him. You can read all about that from Exodus chapter 20 to chapter 31. And then he gave them the Levitical law. The, the entire book of Leviticus outlines for them certain things that should be done in remembrance and reverence of God. In Leviticus, they're told about the different kinds of offerings that they were to bring to the Lord. They were told about the priesthood, how they should be dressed and how they should conduct themselves. And they were told about what was clean and what was unclean. This helped their health. God was preparing them to be healthy in battle through the different dietary restrictions that they were to follow. They were given special days and feasts to observe. And then when you get to the book of Numbers, you see even more how God is preparing them for taking the promised land. He, he prepares them physically. He told them who would camp, where they, each person would camp, uh, uh, which tribes would camp on the north end of the tabernacle and on the south end and on the west and on the east. And, uh, and he uh, told them that the Levites would camp around the tabernacle. And he, he told them who goes to battles first. When you leave a place, this is who goes first and this is who follows. And, and these are the people that are going to uh, be girded up for war. And these are the people who are going to uh, carry the Ark of the Covenant. And these are the people that are going to, uh, to follow in the back to, to to kind of make sure that the backside is protected. And these are the people who are going to be in the front. He, he prepared them physically in all of these different ways. And he tells them that you can read that in uh, Numbers chapter uh, 1 through, through 10. He even uh, gives them, has them number themselves. That's where we get the book of Numbers name is twice in the book. They number themselves once at the beginning and, uh, and then once when uh, they come to the promised land again right before they're actually about to go in and take the land. And uh, they find out how many soldiers they have, uh, which, which is estimated to be around 603,000 that they had ready for battle. Uh, he, he told them who does what. He prepared them physically for the job uh, in Numbers 1 through 4. But then he also prepares them spiritually. Numbers 5 through 10, he outlines for them how to be separated unto God and how to be separated unto holiness. Uh, that's where he explains the Nazarite vow in, in uh, chapter 6. And, and that was a vow that people could voluntarily take to, uh, in order to separate themselves unto God and to uh, take a season of their life where they would just uh, be focused exactly on what God would have for them to do. And they uh, followed those different things that we talk about when you uh, hear the story of Samson, that they wouldn't cut their hair for the length of their vow. And, and for people like Samson, that was supposed to be their whole life. And even Samuel, uh, when Hannah said, and there were raised won't come to his head for the rest of his life. Those kind of vows were for life, but it, it was a voluntary vow that they could do for a short time, but no razor would come upon their head. They wouldn't have any strong drink or wine or eat of, uh, they couldn't have uh, new grapes or they couldn't have raisins, the dried grapes. They just had to follow some different things to keep themselves separate from some things uh, to make sure that they were separated unto God and unto holy living. And, and there's other ways that he uh, shows them in those chapters how to prepare spiritually. He gives them 
the blessing of the priests. He tells them how to corporately worship. All of that's outlined in Numbers chapter 5 through 10. So he prepares them physically. This is how you're going to go into battle. This is what you're going to do. This is who's doing what. This is where you're going to be. And then he prepares them spiritually. So this was a, a time of preparation for that step that they were going to have to take when they got to the promised land. But it wasn't just a time of preparation. Wilderness seasons are also a time of pruning. Because wherever there's preparation, there's usually pruning. Forward motion, it's not just attached to what we should start doing, but what we should stop doing. And so this was a time of pruning. They had to have some pruning of some issues that they had. Some attitude adjustments were needing to be made in this time in the wilderness. There were some issues that the children of Israel had that God wanted to cut out of their life. And I'm not going to take too much time on this because we're going to see a good amount of their issues in just a moment. But suffice it to say this, they had attitude problems, heart problems, and some attachments to Egypt that God needed them to get rid of in this time. It was a pruning of some issues. It was also a a, a pruning of of individuals. Uh, They... Not everyone that started the journey with them ended the journey with them. Uh, they, not everyone who started was there with them on, on that day in November or in Numbers 14. I think of Aaron's sons in Leviticus 10. They offered up a strange fire contrary to what God had commanded, and because of it, they died. And I'm not going to go and take the time to go through every single person, but when you're in an unexpected season, when you're in a wilderness season, don't be surprised if God starts to prune some issues, and and maybe even prune some people from your life. Uh, Maybe there are people that he knows won't be able to help you where you're going. Or or even worse, they would hold you back from getting to where God wants you to be. I think of 2 Chronicles 25, King Amaziah. He's told by God to cut out some people from the game plan he had to go to battle. God would not be with him if certain individuals were were there because God was not with those individuals. And Amaziah asks, uh, what about all that I've invested into these people for them to be here? And, and the man of God says these words to King Amaziah. He says, the Lord is able to give thee much more than this. Man, when, when we feel like God wants to take some uh, people out of our lives that's holding us back from accomplishing his will, we sometimes ask that same question. What about all that I've invested into this relationship? And I'm here to say this, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. Sometimes these seasons bring a pruning in our lives. We got to get rid of some issues, some heart problems that we have before we are going to take the next step that God wants us to take. And sometimes it's a pruning of individuals, some people that need to be cut out of our lives. And so we need to recognize the wilderness season for what it is, a time of preparation and a time of pruning. And then secondly, If we want to manage our wilderness seasons well, then we need to not be so focused on what you want God to do next that you miss what he's doing right now. Don't be so focused on what you want God to do next that you miss what he's doing right now. This seems to be a reoccurring thing for the children of Israel. God provides for them. They complain about something else, so he provides for them again, and then they figure out something else to complain about. Uh, Or they disregard completely what God told them, and so they misunderstand something and start complaining again. Uh, I was reading some outlines of the, the wilderness season, and there was one outline that literally said this, God's provision of and then whatever he provided, and then it said Israel's rebellion and complaining. The next one, God's provision of the next thing, and then it said 
Israel's rebellion and complaining. And the next one, the Lord's provision of whatever the next thing he provided. And we're going to go through these things, but it just may, seemed to be a reoccurring thing in their life. They, they got so focused on what they wanted God to do next that they missed what he was doing right in front of them. It starts in Exodus 13, where they're, where they're seeing the little, literal presence of God begin to lead them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They're seeing the physical representation of the presence of God leading them. And yet when they see Pharaoh and the Egyptians coming in Exodus 14, they start to complain and murmur against God and against Moses. Oh, they're here to kill us. Why didn't we just die over there in Egypt? And then God miraculously parts the Red Sea. They all pass on dry ground, and the Egyptian army is swallowed up in the sea when it closes back in on them right after the last Israelite got to the other side. But you know, it didn't take them long to find another problem because the next chapter, Exodus 15, tells us that they started complaining because they were thirsty, and the water that was near them was bitter. So God has Moses chop down a tree and throw it in the water, and miraculously the water starts to taste sweet. But oh no, they... They got their thirst quench. That, that wasn't enough. They said, what's your plans for dinner, God? Because the next, the next chapter, Exodus 16, they start complaining about hunger. And God provides manna, which, which if you ask me, was just another way that the Israelites were complaining. It's interesting if you look at what they asked for, they asked for bread. They said, God, we, we want bread. And then the Bible uh, says that they woke up the next morning and, and the ground looked like it had dew. And if you read in there, it says that it, it was coriander seed. It was a coriander seed type of thing. And, and, and then they, they uh, call it manna, which means, what is it? Almost like, uh, God, we asked for bread. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> and and it, was, it was something that was an ingredient to make bread. I heard one pastor say it this way, that God's provision uh, was given in, by way of a project. <laughs> and it kind of reminds me of the song that uh, my wife just sang that says, uh, man, I want mountains to move, but God wants me to climb. Uh, sometimes we're asking for something and God gives us something uh, that, that will get us the product we're asking for, but it's just going to take a little bit of work on our part. And, and even in the providing of manna, though, they disregard the instruction to not grab more than they needed in one day. They were supposed to only grab what they needed for one day and not hold it over, overnight, uh, but some of them disregarded that and, and they uh, grabbed too much. And so the next morning it's spoiled and there's worms and just... Thinking of that gives me the heebie-jeebies because I hate maggots and worms. Okay, anyways. So some of them disregarded that, and because of that, it spoiled. And then some of them disregarded that there is one day you're supposed to grab more. That's the sixth day, the day before the Sabbath. You're supposed to grab double because God's not not raining any of that manna on the Sabbath so that you don't have to work on the Sabbath. And then if you were to read the passage, some of them walk out on the Sabbath. They're like, not what is it? Where is it? (laughs) <laughs> and Moses is like, it's the Sabbath. Get back in your tent. You're not supposed to do anything. God was telling us this whole time to oh, exactly what to do, and yet they disregarded those. And then they get thirsty again. They start complaining in the next chapter, Exodus 17, about needing water. So God has Moses strike a rock, and water comes out for them to drink. And then you see in Exodus 19 through 31 that they can see the literal presence and glory of God again. This time, though, it's presiding over the Mount Sinai. Moses is up there receiving the Ten Commandments and the instructions for worship of God in his tabernacle, and God's literally up there writing on stone in his, with his own hand for them. 
the Ten Commandments. But the people get impatient with Moses and they turn to idolatry. Not just building an idol, but offering sacrifices to it and dancing before it. They went as far as to end up naked in front of it. Read it in Exodus chapter 32. It just goes to show that sin will always take us farther than we think it will. And then because we, we have eight more chapters of Exodus and the entire book of Leviticus and 10 chapters of Numbers in between that mess up and the next, it seems like they had it together for a little while. But in my study from Exodus 33 to Numbers 10, only about two months has gone by. <laughs> only about two months has gone by. But Numbers chapter 11 says they raged against the Lord and the fire of God came between them. And then right after seeing God's working through fire, just a few verses later in Numbers 11, they start complaining and murmuring saying, oh, we're tired of this manna stuff. We're tired of it. God was still providing for them food every single day. They literally didn't have to do anything but go outside their tents and pick it up. Talk about curbside delivery. Like it's right there right? I mean, talk, uh, talk about uh, the easy route of getting your food. And, and they, they said, well, we're tired of this. We want meat. Well, then God provides quail. And then in the next chapter, we see some of the people, namely Miriam and Aaron, Moses' siblings, they chide on Moses for his choice of wife and whether or not he was really le the leadership material that God uh, wanted in their, in their uh, midst. And it really, it wasn't a questioning of Moses. It was a questioning of God. And God didn't take too kindly to that. Miriam was struck with leprosy until Moses prayed for God to restore her. And then we get to the passage in Numbers 14, where they're on the brink of claiming all that God had for them. They send 12 spies into Canaan to see how they would take the land. Uh, and, and let me just say this, they weren't supposed to go in and decide whether or not they were going to take the land. That was already decided by God. You're going to take the land. They were just going in to find out how we're going to take the land. And when the 12 spies come back, they do say, it's everything God said it is. It's, it's a place of, of flowing with milk and honey. There's these huge grapes. And I mean, it's just an amazing place. It's, it's fertile. It's, it, there's houses there. We won't even have to build our own homes. They're already there for us. But if you know the story at all, 10 of them weren't, as focused on all of that. Although they said, yeah, it's all the things God said it was. But there's a problem. There's some giants in the land. We were like grasshoppers in their sight, which is an overstatement. But man, we are so small compared to them. And, and there's no way we're going to be able to overtake the land. And as the kid song goes, 12 men went to spy on Canaan, 10 were bad. And two were good. There were two, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, that says that both of them came and they said, no, 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 we can do this. Yeah, they're big. We're not saying they're not big, but God's bigger. God can do this for us. We can go in. Uh, but ultimately, the people complain and murmur and decide that they're not going to go into land because they think they can't trust God to win the battles for them. They say, we're going to lose our children. God doesn't even care about our children. We're going to lose them in these battles. And they, they say some pretty ridiculous things. Now, if you're like me, I read all of that. I read all of that in my sermon study, and I was pulling my hair out at the children of Israel like, ah! like, seriously, what are you doing? Are you so focused on yourself and what you feel you're entitled to that you're really missing all of the amazing ways that God is providing for you? 
But before I got too judgmental, I started to think about my own life and realized, well, let me ask you this. Is it as easy to complain for you as it is for me? Man, it is so easy to find things to complain about. I can so easily lose focus of the blessings of God because I'm focused more on my little inconveniences that I'm going through. You know, when you get your eyes on yourself and your circumstances, uh, we can start to say some ridiculous things. The children of Israel did. They, they said, they, they, we, we would rather die in Egypt or die in the wilderness. It's funny that they were willing to die in the wilderness or in Egypt, but not die in battle to take the land. It just doesn't make any sense. They're saying the most ridiculous things. They said, God doesn't care about our children. Uh, we're going to lose them in battle. And they were, they were ready to stone Caleb and Joshua for even saying God could do it. It just doesn't make any sense. When you, when you get focused on yourself and your circumstances rather than on who your God is, we, we sometimes say some ridiculous things. And it can be so easy to complain about the inconveniences that we have to face rather than looking at the blessings that God is giving us right in this very moment. I dare say that it, if they would have remained focused on all that God had done for them in their journey thus far and what he was doing in their midst right then and there, instead of focusing on themselves, they probably wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't have been so scared to take this next step. I dare say if they were looking to God that they would have had the same mindset as Caleb and Joshua. Let's go at once. They're big, but God is bigger. But instead, they decide to trust themselves rather than trust God. Which brings me to the last point. If we want to manage our wilderness season well, we need to trust God with every next step, no matter how big they may seem. Trust God with every next step, no matter how big they may seem. Ultimately, the greatest critique that God had of the people of Israel was their doubt and disbelief, and it led them to a pretty big consequence. One man said it this way, doubt which led to depression, despondency, disbelief, and despair is now seen to go on to disobedience and disaster. They doubted so much that they started making plans to go back to Egypt. Up to this point, they had talked about it a lot. Like, oh man, we should go back to Egypt. But this is the first time here. They actually propose a plan. Let's impeach Moses. Let's get us a new captain and let's go back. <laughs> it makes no sense. They trusted God in portions of their past, but they couldn't trust him with their future. Have you ever been there? Do you only trust God with your past? Or do you trust him with your future? Because you know, when I look back at God's track record in my past, doubting him in my, presence, in my present is actually illogical. Looking at his track record and all that he's brought me through thus far and all the, way he's pro, all the ways he's provided for me and, and, and all the ways that he's grown me and all the, all the ways that he's blessed me in the past, it literally makes absolutely no sense that I wouldn't trust him now. Yet, many times, I, and I, I dare say I'm not the only one, we find ourselves, just like the children of Israel, mismanaging our surprise seasons, our wilderness seasons. I think that, just like the Israelites, many times we view surprise seasons, or we, we view the wilderness seasons as a negative thing. 
But the wilderness is only negative if you stay there longer than you have to. For Israel, what was intended to be temporary ended up being 40 years because they mismanaged the season they were in. If you look at it, they, they had been traveling for maybe about two and a half years. So really, uh, the wanderings were about 30, 38 and a half years uh, after they were told they weren't going to be able to go in. But, but, uh, but it, wasn't, it was meant to be temporary. And, and from the time that they were in Mount Sinai over there in Exodus chapter uh, 32 and 33 and, and all of that, and they were seeing God, uh, his presence up there, and Moses was getting the Ten Commandments, from that time to the time that they started traveling to Kadesh Barnea, which is where this uh, Numbers 14 takes place, that it took about 11 days to travel. And an 11-day journey into what God wanted them to take ended up being 38 and a half more years of wanderings because they mismanaged this wilderness season. God said, you didn't trust me. Every single person who is 20 years and older is going to miss out on the promised land. Not only that, no one is going in until every single one of you, 20 years old and up, are dead in the wilderness. Caleb, I'll make an exception for you, and I'll make an exception for you, Joshua, but everyone else who, is, who was armed and ready to take the land but ultimately didn't, you're missing out. You're going to die, and, and then thus began the longest funeral march in human history. It said, as the math was done, of all the people that uh, would, ha- would have to die in 38 and a half years, it said if they had uh, some grave diggers and, and funeral uh, people who were conducting the funerals, they would have conducted for 12-hour workdays, seven funerals an hour every day for the 38 and a half years for all the people who had to die to die before they got into the promised land. Man, it's just unfathomable. And all of this, I believe, could have been avoided if they had just managed this wilderness season correctly. It made me think maybe... Our current season has no end in sight because us as Christians are mismanaging it. We're, we're spending more time focused on ourselves and the inconveniences that we're facing than we are on what God is trying to do in us and through us. I'm not, I'm not just talking about COVID, although there are many inconveniences to COVID that we sometimes focus more on than we focus on what God is doing. But, but in each one of our lives, when we come to surprise seasons, how are we going to manage them? These seasons, they're necessary to prepare us and to prune us. And God wants to work through it, but we need to trust him. We need to trust him. But let me close with this. It's hard to trust someone who you don't know. It's hard to trust someone you don't know. And so maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, Mike, I don't even know if I have God in my life. You, you don't know that if you died today, you'd, you'd spend eternity with him in heaven. You, you don't know if you have a relationship with God. Can I tell you something wonderful? You can know. The Bible tells us how. And in, in just a moment, we're going to have what we call an invitation. I invite you to come. And if you're a man, I'll pair you up with a man and a lady with another lady. They can show you from the Bible how you can know that you have a relationship with God. But for those of us who do know Christ, Are you allowing him to prepare you and prune you in this surprise season, but 
really in every surprise season. And, and before I go too much further, let me just tell you, as we see in Israel's surprise season, there were many other surprises within the surprise, <laughs> right? They come up, if you look, they had to fight the Amalekites and God gave them a victory there. But they, they did have a battle somewhere in the wilderness to fight the Amalekites. They did have uh, hunger and they did have these things that they complained about, but instead of just coming to it and, and catching it and saying, God, we trust you, whatever you're going to do, we're hungry right now, but we're just going to trust you. Instead, they complained and they murmured and didn't allow God truly to prepare them for what he wanted them to do. So are, are you allowing him to prepare you and to prune you in these times? Are you focusing more on him than you are on yourself? Are you trusting him? with every next step, no matter how big that step may seem. However God's spoken to us, let's respond to this. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.